HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. So in this episode of Soul by Todd Richards, I have one of my closest and dearest friends. And when I say close friend, he allowed me to stand on his bar and celebrate his wedding uh, with him. And anyone knows that when you have great barkeeps, uh, you know, putting feet on a bar might be the last thing they let anyone do. But uh, he was very nice enough uh, to let me do so. I announced him uh, walking in from the wedding. I, I consider him, one of, again, one of my closest and dearest friends. Uh, Jerry Slater, uh, a Chicago guy like myself. Uh, welcome to Soul by Todd Richards. Hey, good to be here. And uh, happy Leo season to I you. I know, right? A fellow Leo too as well. That's even, that's even, that's even better. Uh, us both being from Chicago, uh, you started your career uh, in Chicago with one of the most famed chefs in the world, uh, Charlie Trotter. And uh, we both have reverence for him but you might have even more reverence for him, seeing how close you were to him and Matthias and everyone else. Just tell us about that first experience working for Charlie Trotter. Yeah, so um, I, I'd kind of put myself through a literature degree working in restaurants in Northwest Indiana and um, even thought about going further. You know, um, uh, I think you and I both thought about master's degrees at one time and stuff, but uh I really got fed up with the politics of academia. I was, you know, about the the aesthetics, um, if you will. And so I just decided to stay doing the thing that had been feeding me and putting me through college. And so um, when I graduated uh, from Purdue Calumet, um, I said, hey, uh, what's, what's the best place I could possibly work for? I, I studied up on... Uh, Charlie's books. I went in. I, I got lucky enough to get the interview. Um, I bought a new suit. I got a manicure, uh, first and only time ever. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, I I got in. And um, you know, some of the stuff, you know, reading up on his philosophies and stuff. Some of the stuff I I, I guess I kind of knew. 
but some of it you weren't really prepared for. You know, it's like, hey, I had been the general manager of the best restaurant in Northwest Indiana at the time, the Miller Bakery Cafe. And, you know, they said, well, um, everybody starts as a food runner. Are you okay with that? And it's like, yeah, I'm okay with it. If I get to work here, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, it kind of quickly advanced to being um, a server there, uh, worked my way up to, I guess, you know, what would be considered a captain or, or whatever the term was at the time. But one of the good things is everybody did everything. You know, um, if your room was done, you went and helped at coat check. You know, if um, if somebody couldn't get to the vacuum in time, you grabbed it and did it. You know, um, there was just this idea that um, nobody was leaving until the work was done. And I really liked that. So, so you, you know, I, I, I'm so excited, you know, to talk to you on the podcast. You know, we can, you know, talk all day. And I don't even tell anyone where you're at right now. You're uh, have the great expat restaurant in Athens, Georgia, which I find so refreshing to have a place like that to go to and visit. And destination dining has definitely changed so much uh, over the course of the years. Was Charlie, you know, Trotter's destination dining at that point in time, or was it, did you guys still have a good amount of regulars uh, that came in? So um, I think it was a little of both. I was there 2000, 2001. And, um, at that time, you know, we would have somebody fly in, uh, from Washington DC and they would eat there five days in a row and wouldn't get the same course twice, wow. um, out of, a, out of an eight course tasting menu. Um, at the same time, um, the, the, you know, Todd, you're familiar, Lincoln Park, had changed a lot from, uh, tw- 1985 when he opened it to, uh, 20, uh, 2001. The broken down tire shops were gone. The yeah. It had been turned in into street. a, it had been turned into a French soap, uh, company. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, kind of cool stuff like, um, still living in the neighborhood, uh, wasn't, they had to be in their late seventies, maybe early eighties, African-American couple who came in every new year's Eve. Um, and still ate there. And I'm not even sure if they paid, you know, um, they had lived in the neighborhood for 45 years or something. Um, so, you know, there was a mix of, of, you know, on New Year's Eve, one year I ran into, um, Trotters had the Trotters to go at that time, the gourmet shop. So I went a little early to have my own celebration on New Year's day when we were off, bought some duck confit legs and the folks who were bl- buying black truffles in front of me were, I waited on that night, you know, and well, so they lived there in the neighborhood. Um, so we, ha- we definitely had a mix, you know, we had people come from all over the world. Um, you know, growing up in the Midwest, I, I, I still sort of find it funny, but we had the, we always got this compliment. People would come from either coast and be like, man, you guys are so friendly here. You know, it's like, right. I don't know if they were, you know, just so used to Manhattan or L.A., but uh, they would fly in and just like, oh, it's so warm here. So, so I guess the Al Capone uh, uh, reputation that we once had for the city was uh, was bypassed and, and we were just became a, a, a hospitable city that no one has ever seen before, you know, in Chicago. I, well, I beg to differ, but okay, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I I would say to the contrary of that. Maybe that was on the front lines, you know, as as because we were hospitality industry. But the year I worked there, uh, Charlie also came in second as the meanest person in Chicago in Chicago Magazine, mm-hmm. um, second only to uh, Michael Jordan. <laughs> oh wow! 
I mean, so, <laughs> the company that you keep is not always that bad, you know? <laughs> right, right. And, and, you know, what does that say about excellence? Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, coming up in a, in a kitchen like that or an environment like that, uh, I mean, really, do you think you can use any of those tactics uh, today in operating a restaurant? Um, you, you know, some of them were were very severe, um, but some of them, it wasn't as much. Um, I, I've worked in in worse situations growing up. You know, you and I are, you know, what next year is going to be the big 50. Uh, I, I've worked in yes. kitchens where people threw things. Uh, you know, stuff like that, where it's been much worse. There was a level of professionalism. It was just that the stakes were so high. Um, mm. There was no error. Uh, there was no margin of error. And, you know, the first three months that I worked there, I kind of had a stomach ache from nerves. You know, I was like, why is my stomach hurt every day? And I think it was just nerves of trying to get it right. You know, being a, being a suit and tie and, and serve food, it, it was, you know, it was a bizarre experience. I mean, you know, um, so it was mobile. It was still mobile then. Um, so you had the mobile, you know, five, the uh, Relay Chateau, the AAA, five Diamond Awards. Then, of course, Michelin. I don't think Michelin was in Chicago at that point in time. But no. you know, the stakes were always, you know, very high for a restaurant, high profile restaurant like that. But then you went to another uh, high profile place uh, called the Oak Room. In the Silback Hilton Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, in which uh, you were gracious enough to recruit myself and Dwayne and and Laura Scollin, who was with us, you know, to to come there. And even in a city like Louisville, Kentucky, the stakes were were very high. Uh, yeah, being one of forty two in the world to achieve uh, five diamond awards. Yeah, it was a interesting thing to go to to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you know, my family's from West Virginia. I've always had an affinity for the South. Um, and, uh, you know, I was with a partner at the time that I don't think she wanted to move to downtown Chicago. And, and we went on a vacation and I kind of got recruited. I kind of put my toe out there and said, hey, what's out in the waters? And um, got this job at a, at a beautiful old uh, gilded hotel, 100-year-old hotel, uh, where we both worked. And, um, yeah, and, and I think in some ways had an influence, uh, you and I, on changing it into a real Five Diamond restaurant. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, I, I don't want to take away anything from the folks that uh, built it because they built that reputation and we inherited it. But then to take it to next level where it was competing with Chicago or, or New York or you know, San Francisco, I think we were there. Most people don't understand the entire backstory about that era of the Oak Room, uh, that, you know, you were there, uh, Dwayne, uh, Walter Leffler, and, and uh, what was our pastry chef's name? Oh, goodness, my, my head is, is escaping me. But, you know, the, the great thing about it was that that hotel was having uh, problems with uh, race relations, uh, they were having problems with it being in the South, trying to be a bigger city than it really was. Uh, and that, you know, that a general manager named Larry Hollingsworth had the foresight to to bring in a diverse group of people in order to operate that restaurant or, or that hotel. I mean, you have 
I mean, there's a joke always, you know, in that, that he had a, you know, Jewish executive chef, black chef de cuisine, uh, an openly gay pastry chef. Uh, I, I mean, what I else? was like the only cisgender white boy there, you know? <laughs> you know like, like what, else, what else did you want to piss off the, camp, the clan, you know? <laughs> right, right. We, we were a big old rainbow coalition, you know? You know, uh, uh, the, the diversity that was in that place was, was unbelievable. And, you know, we had Laura, of course, you know, who, who uh, was the first female sue at, at the Oak Room at the time. We did not have one prior to that. Uh, and it was just really great to see that, 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 that translation. But what was the significant sameness that you found between Trotters and, and the Oak? I mean, we really went by, you know, we were, we were getting tested every year with um, AAA and, you, you know, down to things like, remember the back of the chairs had to be uh, upholstered, you know, <laughs> but I think it was really um, about the hospitality of it. Um, I think that's some of the sameness. Um, and, you know, that the level of excellence, um, you know, at, at Trotter's, it was one location designed to be a restaurant. At the Sealback and the Oak Room um, that we ran, it was a big old hotel that, you know, you would have a Queen Mary, if, if people don't know what this is, it's like a giant rolling counter. Uh, come down the hallway and almost hit you while you're trying to uh, for the banquet downstairs while you're trying to deliver a two hundred dollar tasting menu. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and and so um, you know t- you, you and I at different times were also a, you know responsible for breakfast services or coming in uh, the weirdest thing having to come in at five a.m. to make Dick Cheney a, a decaf latte. just bizarre stuff like that i mean it it was really great you know to see you know where uh we uh you know really relied on you to give us guidance uh in in that arena of course you know walter leffler you know he had that 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 already had that background in it and then myself from the from the ritz carlton they both you know in atlanta and west palm had it but there was something about that Chicago hospitality that you were bringing from that side that I believe I found the most interesting, especially when I talk to people about awards, that 50% of the awards is about service. You know, food is only 25% and beverage is only 25%. The 50% of the award comes from service. And when you see chefs with big egos and things like that, you know, how much do you think they really are focusing on service? The question I always, I always ask on that. Well, and I remember at one of those um, Five Diamond Banquet Awards when, when AAA um, still put those on, we were down at, uh, Walter Leffler and I were down at the um, Breakers in Florida. And, uh, you know, th- this everybody who is a Five Diamond uh, Award winner is invited and it's a huge banquet. It's very beautiful and grandiose. But um, I saw Sergio Maccioni uh, from Le Cirque across the way at the end of the banquet and I sprinted across to be able to shake <laughs> that man's hand. Right. Um, you know, cause this is the guy that created pasta primavera, you know, as a front of the house dish. Um, you know, he's, he's an idol of mine, you know, while you probably have more chefs on, um, I, I'm the front of the house component to this. And, and so, you know, seeing somebody that, that, you know, 
value that that was restaurateur with a capital R in the, in the old school sense of it, um, I had to run across and just shake his hand. Wow, his, his wife looked like I was about to assault him or something. <laughs> she startled her, I think. Like, what's going on here? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can only imagine, you know, the thoughts until she, you know, maybe had a glass of champagne and calmed herself. You know, right, right. You know, I, I mean, I would have thought the same thing. It's, 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 it's fine. You know, let, let's, you know, switch up just a a a, a little bit about, uh, and the reason why I was really talking about the diversity. Uh, aspect of it is because, uh, you know, Wayne, yourself and myself, we all came to Atlanta at the same time to do One Flew South in the airport. And it seemed that we were always already uh, talking about diverse conversations with our experience with the SFA, as well with the fact that, you know, the nominations were coming across for, for Beard Awards, you know, during our time there. And it really seemed like when you looked across the landscape of the Beard Awards that uh, I was sitting there as the only one, we were sitting there as the only one that celebrated diversity in the sense of who was nominated and how that was going to be. And then we move forward into this time frame, and we're talking about the same things that we've done. And I'm just curious, how, uh, where did your sense of celebrating diversity come from? Uh, especially in a city like Chicago, that that can be as segregated as any other city in the world. Um, well, I think this is another thing that you and I share is, is a love of music, you know. And and if I always looked at my my favorite musicians, um, a lot of what I love about music, um, you know, is black culture. And you know, don't get me wrong, I'm a huge Wilco fan, and you know that's. That, that's about as white boy as you can get, I guess. But, um, <laughs> you know, but, but Jeff Tweedy also uh, produced Mavis Staples on her last two albums, you know. And so there's always been something, you know, as a little kid from West Virginia, um, which was very monoculture, um, coming to Northwest Indiana, to East Chicago, Indiana, which um, at the time was, I, I, I would guess, probably at least... 30% Hispanic is now uh, more like probably 60. Um, and just having friends, you know, I didn't know what Catholic was. You know, I, I went to a church that was near a creek, you know. Um, right. I didn't know I didn't know what uh, Spanish was, you know. I didn't, you know, I, I love the Jeffersons, but I didn't know that that was 15 miles away from where I had just moved, you know. <laughs> right. um, so it, just to be open and... I really maybe kind of contribute to my parents a lot. The things that I have, you know, family members, uncles, what have you, that 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 use language that they never approved of and never said in the house, you know, and everything. Everybody was judged on their own character, and you know, um, to this day, um, when they moved to Georgia, my mom's best friend is is African American, and. Um, you know, she didn't like to admit it at the time, but, you know, we always worked in restaurants, which is a, a haven for diversity. And, uh, you know, she had um, an assistant manager who was gay and, and the j district manager thought uh, they were having an affair. And, you know, my my dad wouldn't have liked that or something. He tried to call oh, her wow. out. And, yeah. And uh, my mom was like, uh, you know, he's gay. Right. And this was in the <laughs> 80s when uh, <laughs> this wasn't acceptable. <laughs> Right. 
Yeah, right. but they just like to go out after after closing the Wendy's down, um, uh, you know, and go have a cup of coffee and talk about things and stuff. And so, like, it, like you know, there were starting to be questions. And I was like, he's got a boyfriend at his apartment, you know. And, and while they didn't talk about it in the 80s as much, you know, we kind of, as kids, we kind of grew up knowing, you know, and, and it didn't matter. You know, you know what's, what's great and, and still, you know, odd about this and after we finish we're going to take a quick break but you know is that food has always been that linchpin of discussion uh or music has always been that linchpin of discussion uh between you know yourself uh, myself and all our friends and family but what i don't think that people really understand is the intersection of food and and music per se outside of what they might think, but we understand where juke joints came from, from history. We understand where chicken and waffle comes from throughout history. Uh, we understand how Vegas nightclubs uh, or the Vegas steakhouses came out of history because there is no place to eat gourmet food after midnight in Vegas uh, mm -hmm. you know, during those time periods. And how did that intersection of food and music, uh, how did you develop that? you know, and, and come across that, because it seems uh, as natural uh, to you as it does to me. Yeah, well, I feel like in some ways, um, you know, I like lowbrow and highbrow, you know, um, you and I are a lot the same way that, that way, you know, um, we just celebrated my wife's birthday at your new restaurant, uh, Lake and Oak, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> But, you know, there ain't, no, ain't no shame in that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we did it. We did it with uh, with ribs and champagne, you know, um, like you should. And so, you know, we we. I think there's always been a kind of. I don't know. You know, once I get into something, I want to know everything about it, um, whether it's coffee or barbecue or. You know, and, and not everybody owns the whole story of everything. You know, you and I have had conversations about this. Um, you're an amazing barbecue chef, but you're also uh, the best sushi cutter I've ever had. You know, so, um, you know, where, where does one end and where does one begin? Well, I mean, I really don't know. I mean, I, I would say that if I had to answer... Um there might be more uh, delicious restaurants around the world, but I don't know if I can quantify that answer, but I'm going to keep on trying to figure out. We're going to take a short break right here, and we'll be right back with Jerry Slater. You're listening to Soul by Todd Richards. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally, sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select Whole Food markets throughout California. 
and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R, meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. This episode is supported by Nourish and Flourish. Nourish and Flourish features behind-the-scenes stories about artisans, producers, farmers, growers, and other makers in America, along with delicious and wholesome recipes. The latest issue of Nourish and Flourish is a special artisanal gift guide showcasing some of America's finest products, including everything from the farm and garden to eco-friendly home goods, kitchen and cooking essentials, bath and body, original art, blown glass, seasonal recipes, and so much more. Shop online to support local and buy local. Together, we can make a difference. Learn more at nourishandflourish.site. So Jerry, you know, we're back here on Seoul, and I want to talk about, you know, the move to Georgia quickly and really start diving into what's happening right now, because I believe that if there's anyone who has an insight coming from a place like Trotter to the Oak Room to opening One Flew South in the airport and now uh, having the expat in Athens, that you've seen the dynamics of, of food and cuisine and diversity. So how is it coming from Chicago, stopping in Louisville? And I'm going to qualify Louisville by this, that the first time I flew into Louisville on Southwest Airlines, the pilot said, welcome to Louisville, set your watch back 10 years. That was his, <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was his uh, you know. Uh, and then we moved to Atlanta, which is a, a city, and I, you know, I was already here prior to that, which is now a city, you know, that when I first got here, it's 1.5 million. Now it's almost 6 million, if not 6 million people. And how was that transition out of Louisville, Kentucky, to, to a city or, uh, of Atlanta, but still a rural state like Georgia? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a little crazy, right? Um, we, we got down there, and I think in some ways, um, it's the same thing. We did the same thing we're doing now. Um, I think you and I and, and our restaurant people, um, staying busy um, kind of keeps you from going crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. So we, we just kept busy. We had a, we had a restaurant to open. Uh, we opened it in the airport, and we were foolish enough to believe we could open a fine dining restaurant in an airport, mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody laughed at us. Uh, or, and, or, 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 or have a credible amount of testicular fortitude, either, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? One or two, and a little bit of stupidity as well. So. Stupidity <laughs> and, you know, just like... Uh, not caring about maybe felonies. I don't know. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hiding, hiding knives. I, you know, it's, it's bizarre. Um, but, you know, it's at once a metropolitan and it's still, you know, we, we're working in the world's busiest airport and then the state legislature is still trying to take it away from the city of Atlanta. You know, um, there's a push and pull between the the liberal and the conservative or the democrat and the republican whatever you want to call it down here 
um, that, you know, you can put your head down and keep busy, but at some point it sort of hits you, you know? Um, I mean, you know, when, when you're coming in and you see Travel and Leisure magazine, uh, best airport restaurant in the world, um, after, you know, 12 months, that was, that was pretty dope, huh? Yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. I mean, not only was, it, was that uh, uh, the crazy part, it, you know, it was just that there's a level of excellence that we expected from ourselves and that we're not sure if anyone around us uh, had the same expectations. And it's not to say that the people we worked for didn't have those because they did, they hired us to do so. But I don't think that anyone fully expected what we uh, were trying to accomplish and the lengths of what we were wanting to do, that we would stop at nothing to make that happen. And I do believe a lot of that is from your experience with Charlie, uh, our experience together, the Oak Room, my experience with that, you know, the Ritz-Carlton, um, that we always were uh, there to make sure that the guests were taken care of. No, and and, the, and the three of us uh, pushed each other, too. Absolutely. Um, you know, to, like, even opening day when, when um, we got kind of, I, I don't know, I'm going to say lied to, but we were definitely overbooked, right, from the Delta, uh, fo or that from our corporate office, you know, invited way too many Delta folks in, and we just got hammered, you know, and you kicked everybody, you and Dwayne kicked everybody off the line and put me on Expo, and the three of us pushed the food out. Right. <laughs> and to the point where, like, um, you know, the corporate office was like, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Well, you know, the, the great thing about it is that, you know, getting things done uh, is always, you know, part of our mantra. And also getting it done the correct way is, I think, a bigger part of our mantra. And, you know, we're moving to current day time frame right now. Uh, and the biggest thing that we see going on, you know, politically, you know, we're, we're past the Obama era. We're in, the, in, in this era right now. We're in a COVID era. Yet, uh, like, like myself, you're opening a new wine shop with your, your, your wonderful wife, Krista, you know, who I can't tell anyone. I can't wait to have her on here because she is one of the most brilliant uh, sommeliers that, that, that I have ever met. And, and, and I'm not saying that because... Uh, she's family. I'm just telling the damn truth about how I feel about the way she understands wine. Um, that how do we continue to push for excellence in a time of COVID where uh, someone like yourself, you know, who is a white male might be ostracized uh, if you're not careful uh, just by saying the wrong word? Uh, right. Yeah. So yeah i've i've took to um during this time when we were a little bit slower and you know i'll i'll say this the expat pivoted pretty early we by march we closed down on march 15th and then we opened back up with myself krista and our chef savannah sasser uh just doing meal kits on march 23rd mm -hmm. so we pivoted really fast mm -hmm. um we kind of took um our mutual friend Judith Winfrey used to run a uh, peach dish, kind of a blue apron type meal kit thing. So Chris and I used to order from her and, and saw her, um, you know, really trying to push the envelope on this thing. So we took kind of a plan and, and 
even took it further, you know, like took, um, took many of the steps of meal planning out. But at the time we were still worried about contact, um, and surfaces. And so this, the CDC said this was the safest way was to heat up the food and put it on your own plate and not, you know, not eating warm food out of a box and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we did that for about three months. Um, but I think the question, you know, like politically and everything going on, when we flex after Memorial Day, those sales really um, dropped. And uh, our governor, who um, I know I personally, I won't speak for you, have uh, many disagreements with, um, said it was safe to open up when it wasn't. And uh, we, we saw those meal kits sales drop. So we said, well, what's the next pivot? And it's like, well, reading the science outdoors uh, looks like the safest way possible. So we took over uh, handicapped space in front of our restaurant. Uh, we put out many more tables uh, out there. We, we'd normally pack in four or five tables into a tiny uh, porch. Mm-hmm. Now we have only two tables up there, but we have eight feet apart tables. You know, we have nine tables now. So we kind of have like a mini restaurant out in the front of the restaurant. And if a thunderstorm, like it does in, uh, <laughs> in Georgia, every in Georgia, uh, <laughs> every day at three o'clock, we're correct. Uh, you know, so we have to we have to learn from that. Um, but one of the things that the three of us, as the management team here, talked about was pushback. We had read, you know, from Sarah Simmons in in South Carolina or some other folks, you know, reading about that. Um, you know, the staff getting harassed or, you know, mask wearing, stuff like this. We don't let anybody in the restaurant unless they wear a mask. You can go to the restroom, but right. you have to wear a mask. Absolutely. Um, our staff is completely masked up the entire time. And so um, what we did was, if we were going to get any pushback, what would probably come from is an older conservative white male. And um, let's put the old white male, me, out there to deal with them. I wasn't going to put a 22-year-old um, hostess at the front door to have to deal with somebody's BS, you know? Right. <laughs> so I've been the host the entire time. But at the same time, what it gives me is the chance to engage with folks. And, and what I'm hearing, um, and maybe because it's a smaller town or, or uh, what have you, but is I'm so glad you guys are doing this. Um, I'm hearing a lot about uh, this is the only place I trust to go out to, or this is the only place I've been since March. Um, and it's heartwarming, you know. We have daily, like, um, cries for happiness and daily cries of, of pissed offness and sadness, you know, but they, they, they have started to balance, you know. Well, I mean, I think Whiskey 30 is... Uh... Has become, <laughs> you know, a universal term for most rest. I mean, you know, we're, we're notorious drinkers in the restaurant business anyway, and yeah. and probably uh, have, you know. It, but I would say, actually, I believe the reverse is happening. I believe that restaurant tours are more engaged in in changing their own health and and ensuring that they're healthy to be there for their staff and things like that than than ever before. I mean, I know you ran a few. Uh, marathons uh, recently. Um, I I would say that you know I hired a trainer and always have battled weight and feel like this is the best shape I've been in, even in my 49th year right now. 
But you know what I really hear you saying is is that that everything that you learned still from back in the day working for one of the most uh, taskmaster chefs uh, in the world that you're still pulling through, uh, regardless of what political climate you know we might be in or what difficulties uh, we might face in the restaurant business. Yeah, well. Um... All of our friends have a saying, you know, the type of people that we like to be around, you know, we have the, the stickers and the sayings that all are welcome. And, and a lot of times um, that shorthand for uh, the LGBTQ plus crowd, uh, for um, the, the people of color crowd, you know, like it's, it's signaling, hey, if you haven't been welcome before, you're welcome here. But when you say all are welcome, you, you have to stick to that mantra, right? So that, mm-hmm. that means unless you do something wrong, um, a conservative person is welcome. As long as you're loving and we disagree in philosophy, but you're not uh, harming or being disrespectful, you're welcome as well. And so we have to stick to that um, philosophy. So, um, you know, it makes it tough, uh, but it also... Um, when you earn it, uh, when you, you earn that compliment, it, it makes it feel good. You know, it, uh, the, the hospitality around here is, is, I like the way that you said that, um, restaurateurs are, are more engaging now because mm-hmm. we've had to pivot. So people are, they're not on autopilot, right? They're really, they're rolling up their sleeves and they're really in their own joint. Um, and you know, it's shocking to me that that places like um, the one-off restaurant group, right? Um, mm-hmm. We, Chris and I, love them. We we ate at Cafe Console after we ran the marathon in October in Chicago, and so it's closed permanently. But Blackbird is closed permanently, and so they cut off the heads and the tails, you know, and they're they're focusing on things like Big Star, where they right. can feed a lot of people more economically. Um, we're, we're trying to be in the, in the same boat, you know, um, you are working for a, a guy like Trotter or even, um, Gary Sanders, who, uh, recently passed away, who was mm. my boss at, uh, Miller Bakery Cafe. Um, you know, I developed this, this thick skin, um, but I also developed kind of, um, I used to be accused of, of, uh, what's the word? Not, um, not political, but, um, so oh, oh, I mean, political might be that too. I mean, well, yeah, I know yeah, you're but well like enough, but. De- delegating or, or something where like making like calming down the smooth edges to the mm-hmm. point where somebody told me, uh, you can really tell somebody to go to hell and have them thank you for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, you know. I, think, I, think, I think that's just a Leo quality, you know. I, I, I've seen that in action, you know, both on your part and, and my part as 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 well. Yeah. yeah, and it's like we're all in this together, you know. You, there's there's no reason for a kerfuffle, you know. Yeah, right. But if there is, we can get into it. Uh, so, you know, at the at the end of the day, um, you know, we've got to make. Um, I remember reading this in in the Zingerman's uh, handbook for, from Ari. Um, who I think is just one of the, the, the coolest dudes. Um, you, you have a responsibility to, to your staff, but you have a responsibility to keep the door open. Absolutely. 100%. And if the door is not open, nobody's getting fed. 
the customers aren't getting fed and your employees aren't getting fed and you're not getting fed. So, you know, we've really looked at like the responsibility of, of keeping it running, you know. And, and then opening another, you know, business inside of this. Um, and, uh, and, you know, everyone knows that or if they don't know, they'll know now that I had COVID in, in March and people said, well, you know, well, what are some of the long term effects of having COVID? And I said that insanity gene that we all have, I think it exposed it a little bit more because I opened one restaurant this time period and great try to open another one in a few weeks from from here. So you got to be, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you got to have that. And, and, and apparently you all have it, too. But, you know, really on the other side of this, because everyone, you know, is focusing on right now. And, uh, and I understand it why, you know, we have over 150,000 people, you know, have, have, have tr- uh, traumatically passed away from this. Uh, millions have been ill. Uh, kids are not back in school. But, you know, what are we going to do on the other side of this? How much more delicious food uh, is, is food going to be better? Are restaurants going to be better? Is hospitality business in general going to be better? I, I think it is. Uh, um, I, I'm. I'm always the eternal optimist, you know, I, I, trust me, I've thrown my hand in the air and, and cursed um, big chains that seem like they're going to do better than us because they exploit people more um, and what have you. But, you know, even while we, you know, Chris and I, why we would go through with this, we had this idea for um, really her idea for a long time of a wine bar, wine shop. And you know, we've pivoted a little. It's going to be more about the retail. Um, we're hoping to keep these giant windows in this beautiful old 1901 building open so that maybe seems like sitting outdoors with the, the wind flow. Um, but we were really imagining opening up a kind of a raucous wine bar where you'd grab a bottle on the way home mm-hmm. and with, you know, a couple small bites. Uh, the French have a term called cave manger. Um, which is, this is what it is. It's a retail space where you eat, you know, and um, nowadays it's going to be a retail space where we hope to see you in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, but the Georgia, Georgia legislature passed delivery. So um, you'll probably see Krista in a, in a little uh, turquoise fiat, you know, (laughs) like Maggie Simpson going down the road with the cases of wine. (laughs) Um. You know, we just gotta gotta be happy about this, and and you know, I I know after your recovery, one of the first things you did was was text me a picture of the the cocktail that I created that you were drinking. You know, yeah, Th- things taste more delicious sometimes under distress. You um, know, I I I just am so fascinated though by by what you all are doing because uh, in Athens in a maybe conservative, more conservative part of Georgia than Atlanta. Still, you know, still, you know, fairly liberal, but still, you know, more conservative part. Mm-hmm. But what you all are doing uh, still seems to be uh, more avant-garde uh, than maybe even given credit for. Uh, and even if you did that in Atlanta, in certain parts of Atlanta, I, I would still think that it's probably avant-garde what you all are, are creating there, this small niche for yourselves. And, you know, outside of COVID, and you were alluded to those things about being happy in the future, I just want to, in the last few minutes here, just really hear 
from you why hospitality uh, makes you happy. Because I believe people really need to understand why we do what we do on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, man, I, I like seeing people. I'm, you know, I'm a uh, closet misanthrope who uh, just loves the shit out of people. You know? yeah. and, <laughs> so, and, and, and obviously you're an English major because most people are going to be Google searching what you just said. So, you know, <laughs> you know, like like misanthrope, like a hater of people. Yeah. No, yes. um, We're going to have to do a, a whole trailer on that word, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that is my first love, you know. Yeah. Um, my Krista laughs at me. Um, I buy too many books. And I was like, well, at least it's not cocaine, you know. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's our running joke. But um, yeah, you know, like I, I can be, I can get real down. I mean, um, you know, these, these times are rough, and people say some dumb things, or you know, uh, politicians are making really dumb moves, or what have you. But um, at the same time, w when it hits five o'clock and people are coming in and, and they're saying thank you and they're enjoying this, and you go check on the table and they're like, oh my God, I, have, I hate cooking for myself. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, you know, there's just a, I go home with a sense of warmth about why I do this. Wow. You know, that's it. Uh, I, I, it just, I can't. Uh, I can't go to bed, you know, we, we, Chris and I, you know, tried to do that old thing of not go to bed angry and, and leaving here, um, I go, I go home happy, you know, I don't know what the future will bring, but I go home happy. I, I honestly believe that might be the best way to sum up what the hospitality business is all about, because we want to send people home happy. And ultimately, we do it in a selfish way, because we want to go home happy. And mm -hmm. uh, our misery uh, does not come from the 99 great uh, tables and meals that we sent. It came from that one that we know we did not do 100%. Mm -hmm. And I can't uh, thank you enough for taking out uh, time out of your schedule because I know you're as, just as busy as I am. And where can everyone find you on social media and the expat on social media, please? Um, yeah, the expat, um, dot com. Uh, we're here in the expat Athens dot com. Sorry. And um, I'm uh, I just I don't know. This is the worst time to get into Twitter. I did that during the pandemic. Oh, Ooh, wow. that was that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm at Jerry W. Slater on uh, Twitter and I believe Instagram. So, yeah. Well, Check it out, and this great the soon to be Lark, the soon to be uh, Lark Wine Shop. Oh, yeah, Lark Wine Shop! I know what a fantastic name. I mean, wow! I was like, damn it, I, I didn't get that first, you know. But that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, franchise, franchise. Hmm, how are we going to do that? You know. Um, well, I really appreciate you taking your time. Uh, you know, again, friend, family. Uh, we we go way back, and, and uh, I'm so glad you all came down for for Krista's birthday to celebrate here. Uh, at the restaurant, and it, 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 it's a shame that uh, that we live in these times, but I honestly believe that for some of us, these times are bringing us way closer than ever before. Well, thank you, brother. I'd like to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to everyone soon. You're listening to Soul by Todd Richards.
Sold by Todd Richards is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of Food World's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.